welcome to the podcast. I'm Fiza. And I'm Nicole. And let's just uh, get started with a little check-in question. Woohoo. Okay, I guess it's my turn this episode. So yes. my question for the both of us is, if uh, you were to compete in the Olympics, what sport would you do or compete in and why? I'll let Fiza answer first. I guess we have the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I this might sound a little basic, uh, but I would <laughs> loved to compete in gymnastics. So every time I watch the gymnasts, I'm like, dang, like those flips and just like how their body moves is just so incredible to me. Um, I've never been as flexible as they are. I've just never been athletic in general. Um so yeah, I always just admire them and I'm like always in awe when I see them. And also just the fact that like, they're so, usually they're like pretty small, but they're like so jacked. And I'm like, that is amazing to me. Um, yeah. So I wish that my parents um, put me into gymnastics instead of um, sent me to piano lessons. <laughs> I feel like, I like it would have been more fun. Yeah. I was really struggling in piano. why do you have to make me like this I want to be in gymnastics but it's okay yeah yeah like plus who wouldn't want to be like Simone Biles or like Sean Johnson or like oh my god yeah they're like like honestly like they're just I idolized them growing up so much I love I love I love gymnastics I think it's literally one of the most intense sports Mm -hmm. to like it's just the commitment and like the uh, amount that's demanded on your body is just insane. Um, I, yeah, I guess mine is also kind of basic. Um, mine would be swimming just because like I grew up swimming and it's a huge part of who I am. I knew you were gonna say that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I knew yeah, it. I knew it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I like I have such a soft spot in my heart for swimming. Um, I was a distance swimmer, so I definitely compete in like the distance events. Mm-hmm. I completely and utterly adore Katie Ledecky. She was <gasps> literally the love of and my I life. I love her. Um, I remember, I remember watching when she was fifteen, and she like just smoked everyone. And I remember being like, "That is that girl is that she's one to watch." And um, yeah, she's a beast. Um, also just like. So like Natalie Coughlin, I grew up watching her. I don't know if that's how you say your last name. Missy Franklin. I actually dressed up as her for Halloween. We dressed oh, up as yeah. Oh, God, I did. So oh, such a nerd. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, slower. Oh. Um, but yeah, I love swimming. I think it's like also one of those sports too that's like really underrated and just like overlooked. And it's just like an insane. Like I remember I used to, I don't know how I did it. I used to get up like 5 a.m. for practices and then like you the one thing I missed about swimming I'm not gonna lie it's just like I could just eat whatever I wanted and just like you just burn like an obscene amount of calories (laughs) um while swimming but yeah so that's what I would do um also like just yeah everyone's every every swimmer is like super attractive as well like (laughs) I don't know (laughs) yeah um that's why I also watch them too uh, also amazed at that <laughs> I don't know it's like being a distance swimming like swimming is so hard like I've tried to I mean I'm a, I, I'm 
I can swim just to survive honestly I've never like swim competitively yeah. so whenever I do try like my dad would like make me do laps I'd be so out of breath after doing like what two laps across the pool I'm like so weak I'm like how do people yeah do that like that is just that's so wild yeah you just kind of get in the zone like it like my coach used to say if you could push past lap four or five you could keep mm. going forever and she was kind of right like I swam the 500 yard like that was my event and then mm-hmm. I did the thousand thousand yard one which is like 40 laps I don't know why I did that but I did Whoa. um yeah and it was like one of the only like it was funny because I was really tall as a kid so like every like I got recruited for everything because of my height but swimming was the only one that I liked and I think it's just because it gave me time to like it's also very social because there's a lot of downtime in between events and like Mm -hmm. you just get to talk to people and I like that very chatty child so yeah um anyway so for this week we're gonna dive into a lot of intense things this week I think for this episode um so many things um so I guess should we okay so we're gonna kind of do this like we did it last episode we're gonna kind of intro what we're talking about then kind of go into the frameworks just so we're all crystal clear on the page and then we'll kind of go into our case studies um though I feel like our case studies are a little more like there's a lot of context that goes into them so like just to explain it uh better but um, I will be talking about, uh, you know, Black uh, maternal and infant mortality. And Faiza will be diving into eugenics and steriliz- forced sterilizations and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, this is a really uplifting episode, I promise. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, someone's got to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk um, about it. <laughs> about it okay so um I think so as far as like frameworks go um I think for my topic I really wanted to touch okay so my topic's highly like within the medical model right about like childbirth and um you know just like how that whole process it plays out within you know a clinical setting so when I was um thinking about this topic I thought a lot about inclusive bias um which is this concept, like, it's kind of like, so there's like implicit and explicit bias. Yeah. And implicit is more of like, it's more like subtle. Mm -hmm. Like, it's more like, it's kind of in your brain, like you think a certain thing, right? And then you kind of act that way, but aren't always like cognizant of it. So for example, like in the medical model, in the clinical setting, a doctor may not prescribe as much pain medication to a black patient because their understanding is that black people don't really experience as pain the same way as white people do. So they might, you know, prescribe less pain medication. That was a weird pause. Prescribe less pain medication because of a bias they have in their head, a racist bias they have on their head, but don't like say it explicitly. Whereas like an explicit, like a explicit bias is just like you saying something straight up racist. Um, at least that's like my understanding mm-hmm. um, so it's just like implicit and it's I, th- I believe in my opinion that implicit biases are much more uh, damaging and much more problematic mm-hmm. um, because it's harder to tell someone you know like hey that's racist because they may not even perceive it to be racist yeah. or may not even understand that it is racist mm-hmm. so um, in the case of you know 
uh, you know, black um, maternal infant mortality, um, this manifests in many ways, right? So, you know, a woman comes in, she's about to, you know, have a baby and she's in pain. The doctor may not take it seriously. Um, they may not, you know, they might think she's overreacting, um, especially being a woman, women are perceived to be hysterical. And on top of that, being a black woman, you know, that those things are often amplified. Just black women are oftentimes not believed, period, which we've talked about a lot in this podcast, I feel like. Yeah, um, in addition to uh, black women, you know, are at more, have more, ri- uh, more risk for things. Um, so that's often overlooked by doctors. And I think the case study I will dive into kind of looks into that and like, why does that happen? And kind of um, how just the medical, like I think the medical model and clinical model kind of oftentimes don't factor in these really important social and environmental factors that can lead to um, kind of like the, the numbers and the evidence that we're seeing of what's happening. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where I want to come from because I feel like implicit bias, I feel like it's also a word that's thrown around a lot and can be like, oh, what does that actually mean? Or how does that actually look like in practice, right? And I feel like in the medical model, it, I've seen it time and time again, I've learned about it in a lot of the classes I've taken. I mean, as a white woman, I definitely, I don't think I've experienced implicit bias. I know what it's like to not be taken. I have a lot of health problems and I know what it's like to not be listened to by doctors. And I couldn't, you know, imagine what that would be like for a black woman. And like, I don't have to worry about my baby dying. Like, that's just a reality. It's just like crazy. Like the, the, the comparison between black, you know, black and white babies dying. It's just like, it's just, it's just staggering. And especially like a country, a country like um, America that has access to uh, really good technology and oh my internet's unstable so sorry if I'm cutting out um, <laughs> um, you know I don't know anyway sorry side, t- side tangent but anyway I just think for me it's just like um, really baffling that this is an issue we actually have to talk about like <laughs> um, I I just I um, don't understand that but you know here we are um I think also Fiza's topic of eugenics is just something that's baffling we even have to talk about too just this week is a whole lot of like dumbfoundedness like why do we have to talk about this but we do um uh yeah but anyway so like that's kind of implicit bias um in the medical model uh kind of how that manifests I guess I don't know if has anything to add to that yeah um yeah, no, I think you covered it pretty well, though, Nicole, about implicit biases. I mean, another term that is used for implicit biases, and folks say, like, unconscious bias or biases. Um, so, yeah, mm, I just thought yes. it was just something. Yes, um, yes, yes. So subtle, like, you know, in your brain because, you know, learned behaviors that you don't even recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that you kind of, let's say, if it's a racial implicit bias um, against, you know, certain you know, racial group, you're going to assume things, say stereotypes, or you're going to have prejudice about that group in a split, like maybe faster than a split second, you know, like you're not even going to know and it's going to take you a while to notice um, that you might have thought of something or you might have said something that um, could have been offensive, for example, um, and or you might not even think that it's wrong. So yes, just implicit bias is, is definitely something that, you know, it takes so much more to learn about and or to learn about and then unlearn and then you know recognize Mm -hmm. that for yourself 
Yeah, no, for real. Because it's unconscious, right? It's almost like it's like a knee-jerk reaction. Like you don't even acknowledge it like that it's that, that that's your predisposition. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh yeah. Um I think it's like uh, like I think like just to me it's like I think women like black women especially have this like double like this we're talking about this like intersectionality you know being black and being a woman there's just two things that are going almost against them in regards to like doctors you know like not perceiving them like because like I think this also really stems back to like slavery and like kind of that understanding of especially like pain I think that's a huge one um and I think they're just like oh like they can just withstand more pain right I'm like no they're human just like me just like you just like anyone else and so I think that comes from um that comes from like slavery and just like this con I don't know I just I just never really understood um yeah I don't know I just feel like if if I had like I'm an EMT if I have a patient telling me they're in pain you do anything to like and pain is also subjective like I know I have a very high pain tolerance so I don't Mm -hmm. complain about it but like my sister has like no pain tolerance. <laughs> um, so it's just like, it's so subjective from person to person. I think it exactly. absolutely has nothing to do with your race. It just yeah, has exactly. to do with like, I don't know. Like, I just don't, I just don't really like, which also is problematic. Sorry, this is like such a tangent. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, just cause like, I don't know. I, I, I just like, I don't, uh, I don't think it's a good thing. I have a high t- pain tolerance, to be honest. But no. Hey, it's okay. Um, it's but anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's implicit bias, and then I think Faisal was gonna touch on a few things about pertaining to yeah, uh, and um, forced sterilization. So yeah, so that's what I'm going to be covering. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, I mean, you know now. I don't know, I feel like there is might be a question kind of floating around, like, how does eugenics and forced sterilization connect with, you know, Black infant and maternal mortality? I mean, this all falls, still falls under, you know, reproductive health, how um, historically and even currently women of color just don't, haven't had the access to, um, you know, proper reproductive treatments and also just, like, they don't even have, you know, access to their rights, like, you know, the way of properly mm-hmm. exercising their rights their reproductive rights right um and so you know through eugenics through the eugenics movement also just like how that's you know intertwined with racism and understanding that that's just what led to you know forced sterilizations of women of color so um i would be talking about you know certain examples super quick examples of like black women native women um puerto rican women and also chicana women um, and so, so kind of this framework I want to, or two frameworks, I should say, I want to kind of touch on. Um, one is structural intersectionality. So last episode, I talked about political intersectionality. This comes from that same article by Kimberly Crenshaw, um, just talking about these kind of three dimensions or kind of these three spheres of intersectionality and how that um, appears in you know, domestic violence against Black women. So this is more so on structural intersectionality, which is the usual understanding of intersectionality of just how like these um, structures, like, you know, these systems that are in place, such as, um, you know, races or white supremacy and um, patriarchy and capitalism and, 
you know, um, compulsory heteronormativity um, and also just like all of those kind of structures that we have in mm -hmm. society, how do they overlap? Um, and also just um, kind of, uh, you know, produce unique um, kind of experiences of marginalization and oppression for folks who also, you know, have these overlapping identities. But, you know, being um, mm -hmm. a person of color or being a woman or, you know, a gender, gender minority or being, you know, not heterosexual. Um, so just like all of that, how do they kind of interact and how do they um, kind of, you know, intersect, mm -hmm. right? Using intersectionality right. to, for, you know, to produce this unique <laughs> kind of marginalization. Mm -hmm. So that is seen um, in these examples of like women of color of different, you know, ethnic mm -hmm. backgrounds. Um, but also there's another kind of framework that I want to touch on and introduce. And it's, um, you know, Omi and Winant's racial project. So who Ooh. are Omi and Winant? So Omi and Winant, so Michael Omi and um, Howard Winant are two sociologists who wrote about their theory of racial formation. So they came out with, I think it was a book. It came out with that in, I think yeah. it was around the 90s. Um, so they came I out think, about- Was it late 80s? Late 80s. Sorry. Nineties. Early nineties, ladies. <laughs> yeah, I really don't remember. But it was it was a while ago. Um, so they came out. Yeah, with, but it was a book. You're right. Yeah, it, it was, was a book. book. Okay. So they came out with their book, book of racial formation, or just like racial formation in the U.S. Racial formation in the United States. Yeah. Nineteen eighty six. I was right. Nineteen eighty six. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe they came out with other articles in the nineties, and that's no, they did. I think. No, they definitely did. Okay. Definitely. That makes total I, sense. They definitely probably published other things, yes. Okay. Makes Sorry. sense. So, yeah. So, it's like racial formation in the U.S., just like how, you know, I don't know, just like how we understand race and racial categories mm -hmm. and racism in our, you mm -hmm. know, society in the U.S. context. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. racial projects are, um, you know, a term that they brought forward from you know racial formation um and it's defined as um si it's simultaneously an interpretation representation or explanation explanation of racial dynamics and an effort to reorganize and redistribute resources along particular racial lines so racial projects connect what race means in a particular discursive practice and the ways in which both social structures and everyday experiences are racially organized based upon that meaning so really, it's just kind of, I don't know, it's it's um, a definition might be a little confusing, um, but I kind of do want to focus on just the second part of the definition. So racial projects connect what race means um, in, you know, these practices. So how these these practices can be either practices by our system, by the structures in place in our society, but also by, you know, everyday experiences. So it could be interpersonal. Um, practices mm -hmm. of racism or how do you, you know, kind of reinforce what race means. And so we do know that race is a, um, you know, arbitrary social construction, but, you know, these racial categories have such, you know, real impacts, right? And that's, you know, yep. how racism, you know, stems from is where racism stems from. And so racial projects is just kind of um, identifying, you know, like how these practices, you know, reinforce that meaning of race, the meaning of even of, you know, um, an arbitrary construct, like how that still is reproduced in society. 
Um, so hopefully that makes sense. Um, I think giving more concrete examples of racial projects, especially as is as seen in eugenics and you know forced sterilizations, would probably help the audience to understand that better. So yeah, yeah, that's all I want. Yeah, to. I know. Like when I was learning about it, it seemed mm-hmm. very like abstracted and weird. Mm-hmm. And I think once you apply it to like real life examples, it makes it a little easier to dissect and dive into yeah um yeah I'm a very much like an application example type person so I feel it (laughs) um same okay so um um, okay so for my case study I will be diving into the birth of Olympia I believe her name is which is Serena Williams's baby that was born um and kind of (laughs) She has been born. I think, uh, I don't know, I is, she, like, is she two years old now? I think she was, like, two. I was going to yeah. say, like, she was probably, like, two. Yeah, she's um, which grown is up. baffling to me. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the baby personally. Probably, I'm guessing it's probably an adorable baby, but. Um, she's super cute. Uh, yes. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I just, I was, the, the reason um, I was, like, thinking about Serena Williams, too, is because um, I was watching this thing with, like, Meghan uh, Markle. Oh, and, it, and I guess they're friends. I didn't know that. They're friends. Okay. Dang, I didn't know that either. They're friends. She, I guess Serena Williams at her baby shower, so I guess they are. Oh, um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. I'm I'm really elsewhere today. Okay. So um. Anyway, so uh, I just kind of wanted to dive in and maybe kind of uh, preface this case study with just some statistics, just to kind of get things going, shock people, get them woken up. Okay, so black and African or black slash African American women have uh two point or two point sorry have two point three times uh have a more sorry have an infant mortality rate that is two point three times higher than non Hispanic whites. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, um, black infants are three point eight times as likely to die from complications related to uh, low birth weight as compared to their non-Hispanic white counterparts, which is really insane. Um, just so, so you know, some like leading causes of infant mortality, it just I feel like that can be kind of um, weird to know is low birth weight, uh, congenital malformations, maternal complications and accidents, so like an unintentional injury, yeah. or um, there's a thing called SIDS, which is a uh, sudden infant death syndrome. And they don't really know where it comes from, but happens. Um, yeah, it's so weird. It's, like, and also to kind of go, sorry, did I interrupt you? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. I, I, was ahead, just, I just want to make a comment about SID because like, like over the summer, I was doing this internship and I I think I was talking about SID in some context. Um, I was writing like a health education blog. I think it was about like children and adolescents as like looking at SID. I've never really understood what that was, but it's like a, the mo- most of the time, like these cases, it's just like these babies like die in their sleep, like in the crib. I yeah. know it sounds really morbid, but yeah, they just like die all of a sudden. There really is no like cause as to why. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I just I just wanted to say that if anyone was curious about what that is, you can also just do a little more research. But yeah, no, it's um yeah. it's definitely a scary thing. It's super bizarre. Mm-hmm. No, it's no, but it's just like super bizarre. Like I remember when I learned about it, I was like, what? Um, but yeah, just SIDS. Um, 
and then actually black women um like you know black fresh african americans had twice um had twice the amount of sudden or SIDS cases um, in comparison to their white counterparts. So like it's more common mm. amongst um, black folks. Um, and um, just to kind of also talk about some other things, I think I thought these statistics were interesting as well. 66.6 um, of non-Hispanic blacks and 82.4% of non-Hispanic whites receive prenatal care. Which if you think about it, that's like really 20%, about 20%, that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, and then 10.2% of non-Hispanic Blacks and 4.5% uh, of non-Hispanic Whites uh, do not receive any prenatal care. 10%, that is one in 10 Black women don't receive prenatal care. Um, which is baffling in a country like America. Okay. Uh, actually, maybe not so baffling. Um, Anyway, uh, so just to kind of talk about um, kind of why these numbers are so disproportionate um, and like maybe some factors that contribute to this. Um, I think a lot of this, um, I'm obviously going to base this, you know, in, in evidence and in science and in fun stuff like that, because we're going to do it that way. But um, I think that oftentimes just as like a disclaimer we see numbers like this and it's like very alarming and shocking and it's just a lot to process mm -hmm. um but also there's always a narrative and an understanding behind numbers um and there's always lived experiences behind numbers so honestly um when I was doing my research for this topic there's so many stories of black women and their experiences of um you know their experiences within the healthcare system and their experiences is like losing a child or maybe like losing their family member who is a black woman or things like that. So I think if, if you want to, you know, like just Google search, like black infant mortality, like you're gonna find, you know, these stories. And I think it's really important to understand kind of how this plays out. And I think the Serena Williams example that I'll give later, but I just think it's just good to kind of get some human humanization behind the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so but I just thought I would throw that out there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so. Um, so a lot of research shows that African-American women have greater exposure to risk factors around the time of pregnancy, um, which leads to infant mortality or, you know, their own, uh, something that makes them more at risk, like a higher risk pregnancy. Um, so this includes, you know, poverty, um, low socioeconomic status, so limited access to prenatal care, poor physical and mental health, um, and like a lot of these risk factors are obviously like very interrelated. Um, it doesn't fully account for these racial gaps, but it just shows how um, black women in general, like I think it just how these racial gaps kind of appear because obviously infant mortality has gone down over the past century, yeah. but it's just the racial gaps still show up so prevalent. And I think mm -hmm. this is just a lot of this has to do with implicit bias in healthcare. Um, I think this also has to do with like, you know, history of, black women um not having access to health care and to like prenatal care and this comes from like you know history of not having generational wealth um they touch on a lot of this article i read from um how like you know black families don't have access to like adequate housing so they're more likely to live in areas that have you know uh environmental factors that are more um like you know like air pollution things like that which when you're pregnant is a is a big deal 
um because that you know whatever you inhale goes to your your fetus yeah um so those are things like environmental toxins also just like you know water contamination things like that um and then so I think this is also like a very layered on like structural issue um I think it's like more than just like the outcome there's like obviously a lot of like kind of like the social determinants of health um that lead to this um lead to this uh, health outcome and like social determinants of health is you know non-public health <laughs> non <laughs> people I know like I didn't know what it was it's just kind of like these factors that lead to health outcomes that are kind of very underlying so usually they have to kind of do with like race or like gender or you know environment or mm -hmm. all these other things that often aren't really accounted in the medical model that can lead to health outcomes exactly. um so yeah and then kind of um another some other factors that I thought were really interesting so they talked a lot about you know obviously exposure to environmental toxins but also like throughout school you know black women are more likely to be suspended or expelled in comparison to their white counterparts um for similar things like they're more likely to like get a harsher punishment and so I think mm -hmm. that leads them to not finish high school which can also like lead them to not having a job with like health insurance which can lead to like not access to communal care care just yeah. all, all built off each other <laughs> um and then some other things um economically um african-american women black women are uh, only make 63 cents for every dollar a white man makes um they're also more likely to work in jobs that don't support that don't have as much like structural support meaning it's like not flexible scheduling um, they don't have paid sick days, maybe like they don't have as much paid sick days or paid family leave. Um, and about 75% of African-American mothers are single heads of a household, mm -hmm. which leads to increased likelihood of stress. Like all these factors, I think, lead to chronic stress, which is also very detrimental to a fetus. Because yeah. um, that early life programming is passed to the fetus. Because if the mother is dealing with chronic stress, the fetus will um, actually... Um, pick up on that stress and develop more like fight or flight response. Cause like your body's in a fight or flight response. You're, you have increased cortisol, which is a stress hormone, yeah. which then in turn impacts the fetus ability to like develop. And they think they're also in stress. So that's sorry, that leads to like lower birth weight cause they're less likely to like eat and like take in nutrients and all this stuff. Oh, so, yeah, I took yeah. a stress bio class. Don't remember everything, but it's, <laughs> it's bad. It's just not good. It just stress makes, is makes bad. it so, like, it just makes it like them more likely to be in like a survival response. And so they just don't develop like as healthily as a like not stressed baby would. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, so another key point is so like with this um, kind of this early life programming, it makes you more predisposed like later on in life to certain health outcomes that are pretty negative. So like obesity and diabetes are two big ones. Um, and then that can also makes for a higher risk pregnancy. And those are things that can then be passed on to your child. Um, like, oh, you know, they're going to come out diabetic, but like those um, kind of epigenetics, those like epigenetic yeah. markers are more likely seen in the child. Um, fun epigenetics. Woo. Okay. Um, also, just to throw this out there. Um, with higher levels of cortisol, there's a lot of um, a lot of negative health impacts that occur. Um, 
so you have like you know immune suppression um you're more likely to have perinatal infections um you could have a lot of life-threatening pregnancy complications from it um so that's really problematic it also like throughout just kind of throughout like black women's life they're talked about kind of an increase in their allostatic load mm -hmm. um which is increase will also increase your risk for maternal and infant mortality because your body is just if your body's in constant fight or flight it's there's just certain like functions that don't like literally just get turned off because your body's in fight or flight response and that can be really problematic to a fetus um and yeah so um i just thought um like all these things like stress like chronic stress is, is very detrimental to the body and can lead to a lot of really negative health outcomes um which can really be problematic um in terms of you know if you're you know pregnant that can be really um just as someone who does have high cortisol it just it just really messes you up it can lead to like you know it impacts your um ability to process sugar mm -hmm. your brain chemistry your neurotransmitter level like all this stuff so yeah okay so um i also thought i would throw in here just some like kind of call to action type op things because i feel like that when you hear all these things it can just seem like oh this is just really hopeless and there's nothing we can do um sorry my mom just walked in <laughs> be real right now yeah <laughs> okay um uh yeah so um call to action type items so um like i feel like a lot of these issues there's just not a lot of research done on black women to like better understand how we can better best support them right. because i feel like a lot of these um I, I read this in several articles a lot of these um kind of impacts are completely manageable and preventable mm -hmm. um they're they're very much environmental and socially driven obviously like you can't you know you can't control everything but there's some things that happen in pregnancy like prenatal care is something that can be provided like if, if we can make that work like we could change policy to make that more accessible like mm -hmm. there's ways that we could change this you know what i mean and make yeah. it so there is better just care for black women in general so i just think like conducting research on assessments and analysis on the impact of overt and covert racism on toxic stress and pr pregnancy related outcomes of women and infants of color like you could talk to you could write a letter to your congressman and say or congresswoman and say hey um i think you should you know push this bill forward to get more funding for this issue and i think that's stuff that like we can do as you know allies you know try to push forward, push um, and demand more from our representatives and also push and demand more from our institutions. Um, I mean, if you're a college student, um, kind of, I don't know, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, so I think it's just more of there's certain things we can look into more. I think another thing was just like looking just in general, collecting just nationwide data on like, you know, um, just like maternal deaths and complications just divided by race, geography, and socioeconomic status. So then therefore you can create better, more, um, you know, interventions to help communities that are more impacted by this issue um, and just things like that. Um, and so anyway, in the case of Serena Williams, um, so she had her baby um, a few years ago. And um, so it began with a pulmonary embolism which is a condition in which one or more arteries in the lungs become blocked by a blood clot. 
and she actually had a medical history of this problem so it was like it was definitely on her chart and something that um, the doctor and nurses should be aware of she was documented so it was there um and basically she like wrote in this new york times article that she felt like you know she lives in fear of the situation because she knows it's, it's a predisposition she has um and kind of just just talked about how um when she started to feel like the shortness of breath, like she immediately told the nurses like what was going on. Um, but I feel, so she was talking about um, how <clears throat> basically, um, well, in her experience, like she was able to get like the medical care and attention she needed. She like still almost died of this. And I feel like a lot of it was because the doctors and the nurses really overlooked um, the health condition that she had or didn't look closely enough until it was almost too late and she talked a lot about how um, like kind of what the, the same statistics I was bringing up that you know black women are much more likely they said three times more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth related causes um, and it's something like she brought it to light that obviously in other countries poorer countries around the world this is also a complication um, and then like when complications like hers arise, like oftentimes they're overlooked um, in that basically it like kind of like the odds are stacked against them every time. That's what mm -hmm. she kind of said. And I think that's true. Like, I think if a doctor, you know, it, you know, a woman's like out of, a black woman's out of breath, they're like, oh, like it's nothing. But really she was dying. Um, yeah, that they wouldn't have done the surgery right then and there, she would have died from it. So. Yeah. Um, or also just being aware of like what medications are like contraindicated or what medication should she not be taking or should be taking considering she has mm -hmm. that condition, mm -hmm. um, things like that. And so um, she kind of brings to light how her experience as a black woman giving birth in America, like the complication she had is definitely not an exception and is something that needs to be addressed and I feel like her case brought to light a lot of the issues that I kind of previously discussed about why do black women die more disproportionately after childbirth or why do black babies die more and I think um kind of with her platform she was able to bring this issue to light and be like hey let's not focus on my case like I'm fine like I have access to good doctors yeah and even when I did even even though I was a celebrity I still struggled with this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even though even though arguably economically I should be able to afford the best health care out there it, I still failed me um it still almost failed me and like let's talk about the women who don't have this who that something happens and then their baby dies or they die you know what happens wow. to them so um because both of these women like nearly died um and like because they were like even though they had showed high symptoms or showed um that they were like high like they she showed that like she was a high risk um pregnancy because of this pulmonary embolism and all that mm -hmm. stuff um it still wasn't you know despite reporting it like they still nearly died from it and it just like shows that like maybe like the doctor just overlooked it didn't think much of it you know what I mean and then it like yeah, actually yeah. happened you're like oh shit um so yeah but I think in general um just this case like I think to me it just shows like a 
how someone can use their platform to bring awareness to this issue because I feel like oftentimes these are issues that aren't talked about exactly and b um how 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 much race in this case because like 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 in this case like I don't know bio like this gets complicated because I'm like I want to be gender inclusive and I want to be but it's like I don't know how to word this best why is it like because like babies like having babies I mean um (sighs) I've seen terms like no yeah it's definitely hard and also you know this is a learning curve for like so many of us just like how to be gender inclusive so this is such a great example of that but I'm on Instagram actually the other day like I saw um you know people like someone just say like people with uteruses or you know, people who are pregnant or who are giving birth and peep the, you know, word people can just mean anyone, mm. so, you know, it's not mm. only centered around like yeah. women, but even then cisgender, not all cisgender women can, you know, have babies, have babies. Right. So like, yeah. Ugh. So people who are pregnant people or are pregnant, let's just yeah. say people are pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to be inclusive because like, yeah. Okay. People are pregnant. Um, those people like tend to like I think it's just like it really boils down to race you know what I mean like it really just shows like how race can negatively you know can cause these health outcomes to occur and how implicit bias of like the doctor overlooking something or not believing their patient can lead to these really complicated health outcomes and yeah I yeah so I think Serena Williams while being like someone who's famous definitely doesn't mean that she's exempt from this like it's definitely something that you know she's still a black woman she's still you know she still embodies a black body and so I think you know it's still gonna issues like this are still gonna come up regardless and I think that's just what's so powerful is like it doesn't matter you're not exempt from it um so yeah I think I just want to bring that to light and just throw in some statistics and maybe some explanations I'm sorry if my explanation wasn't super clear but um yeah but stress stress really okay like I just like I feel like I really dove into this when I figured out I had high cortisol it just impacts you so negatively Mm -hmm. and just how it can impact your fetus and like early life stress and how that impacts you down the line I think a lot of this is just so systemic and like the fact that you know literally you know black women are passing this to their child like in the womb before they even are born like giving them almost these health outcomes that can be really hard to reverse it's like really really interesting but yeah so yeah no it's so like I don't know so wild and also scary to me too like just learning about this like I I wrote about this in a paper for another class and it was just like last year during our junior year like I just wrote about it for my final paper and I was researching and you know I was doing some background research and I was really just getting so disheartened and I was like dude like this could Mm -hmm. be me right like I'm a black woman I you know, I'm of middle class, like I'm, I'm educated, right? I'm in college, but you know, none of that matters. Like in this instance, respectability politics doesn't matter. Serena Williams could be a super famous tennis player with, you know, so much money married to um, Reddit founder, or I think, I think her husband is the founder of Reddit or, you know, he's famous, right? He's He's super famous and rich, everything. So even someone as high profile as her, like I also used her as an example in my paper. And I was like, this is not, you know, unique to her, and this is not unique to every single 
you know, black women who's going through this, like, because there are so many instances, this is an issue, like, this is a problem. And yeah, like you said before, Nicole, no one is talking about this. And I'm like, how come Mm -hmm. no one addresses, um, even though, you know, infant mortality in this country is going down, it's still really high for um, a developed, they say developed country, right? A country in the North. Um, even with all of our, you know, awesome medical technologies and science and research, mm-hmm. there's still so many poor health, poor health outcomes in general in our population. Mm-hmm. But these poor health outcomes are even more, you know, um, exacerbated, you know, along the racial lines. So for Black folks, of course, it's going to, you know, Black and Indigenous people, it's going to be mm-hmm. even worse because they're literally neglected by, this is like, you know, healthcare. They're supposed to get healthcare. Um, you know, you're mm-hmm. supposed to take care of everyone. But yeah, like you said, it does stem back to slavery and just like that history. Um, I'm just, you know, not being regarded as human, being dehumanized, mm-hmm. also not um, being experimented on, right? And slave folks are experimented on. Um, yep. The name of science. Um, and that's where this, you know. And gynecology. Gyneco- the father of gynecology. Yeah. <laughs> That man, I don't know who his name is, but the father of gynecology literally cut open, like, did surgery with no pain medication, no sterilization, like, no, like, sterilizing of, like, would just cut, like, Black women's slaves open. Yeah. And then sew them up. And then they would die of sepsis. And I was like, who thought that was a good idea? Who thought this was right? But this this history for science, and now that it's, you know, been written in medical journals, that long ago yeah. and this you know falls into because the bias like how let's say medical students um you know when they learn about mm-hmm. these things oh they actually do believe um they're taught that black people actually have higher or they can tolerate pain higher because of their skin their thick skin or whatever um so it's just all of the this his this is a history um that really like goes into this this is not just some you know, individual circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the generational thing too, like not having access to like prenatal care, which I think is so, so important and having access to like a space with like, not like, not like, cause I feel like even if you had prenatal care, like all the vitamins, Mm -hmm. doctors checkups, I don't know. I haven't had a baby yet. (laughs) Um, but, uh, uh, you know, um, not, not in that phase of life yet, hopefully. Um, I know I'm always like yeah I don't know what I'm talking about okay but um like just just because your house is located in a neighborhood where it has you know bad air quality or there's lead in the water or things like that that not are you know what I mean and it yeah and to me that's just like already sets you up at a disadvantage and like like you know there have been studies that show that like environmental toxins do lead to like lower birth weight and mm-hmm. stuff like that so it's just like certain things that it's so systemic and so embedded. And I think it's just so many different um, levels of, you know, racism playing out um, and leading to these health outcomes. And I feel like it's just like not really dissected into, but yeah, so um, yeah, I don't know. I thought thought Serena Williams, like, I just think she's such a beast and so amazing. And I was like, I just, the fact that, you know, she was like, this happened to me. I don't know, it's just, it's just really baffling. It's really baffling. It's so, so sad. And also, like, okay. I don't know. I'm going to share another super sad story, but I follow this 
page on Instagram called. <laughs> Sorry, but I, I mean, it just needs to, I, I, told, I said this uh, podcast will be uplifting. I'm being so sarcastic. I don't know. So, so uplifting. You know, so you're uplifting. literally going to cry tears of joy, you know, not tears of sadness yeah. for sure. But no, because I, I just want to share because it was so heartbreaking when I was looking. So I follow um, this page on Instagram. It's called Health and Her Hue. Um, and it's doing such great work. Um, so it's trying to address this, this issue of, um, you know, Black uh, people, but in, more specifically Black uh, women and uh, not, you know, having access to doctors that look like them, right? That they're not Black women. So this yeah. app or this this page who then created an app, um, created an app so that Black women can access, you know, Black um, women OBGYNs. Um, especially to combat this issue of implicit bias in me- and medical racism um, when they are pregnant and giving birth. Um, but sadly, there's this one pa- the one post about this this woman who is a do- who was a doctor too, um, but she ended up passing away um, after either during or after childbirth. Yeah, I'm like even though she she literally wow. is a doctor, right? She was a doctor. She was, you know, helping these women, um, you know, trying, you know, trying to essentially help them and keep them alive, um, because the system doesn't, mm-hmm. and she ended up passing mm-hmm. away, so it was, like, super sad to read that, I'm like, even so her, sad. too, right, so I'm like, even, I know, I, just, I don't know, I just want to drive the point home that it literally happened, it can happen to any, you know, Black person who is, um, you know, pregnant and who's expecting a child, like it's so, yeah. it's such an issue that just runs so much deeper, right? It, it runs deep into yeah. the systemic injustices um, that Black yeah. faced. Yeah, it's some real, some real stuff. Yeah, that's, that's some real stuff. Yeah, I was like, what? She's a doctor too. Anyway. I know, I'm like, you, you should know, was... know, like, well, you should know, but like, like, like you, you know, think, like right? you know, and like you would like, like I don't know. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just really crazy because I feel like also like you would you think that like child like death by childbirth. I mean, childbirth used to be the number one killer of you know mm. women like mm-hmm. who were pregnant. You know, um, now like you would think that'd be done. Like you think with like you know technology and all that stuff you think that would be done but no but I mean I guess racism hasn't you know has persisted nonetheless so racism has persisted yeah 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 as long as that's there I mean maybe it looks like it's over but I mean that's only for a certain group of people and we know who that is the white folks know who that is you know we know who that is (laughs) but for other (laughs) white people (laughs) but for other yeah no no, not at all. It's, I don't know, for me, it seems like it's getting worse. And I would definitely, you know, hopefully if you listen to this podcast and you listen it over, just, you know, listen to what Nicole's saying about the action items and calling, um, you know, legislatures and your representatives, because, you mm-hmm. know, especially with the, you know, with their recent election, it was so contentious. Yeah. There, you know, there is not enough, I feel like there's not enough emphasis on local and state elections. Right. Those are folks that you, you know, elect, but also have so much more of an impact, I feel like, because, you know, they're local. You live in your city, but also you live in that state. So these are state laws are going to affect you more so than Mm -hmm. I think more so than federal laws. So that's why even calling, 
yeah be like what are you gonna do about it like what are you gonna do about Mm -hmm. it it's happening yeah I feel like in states that have larger black populations Mm. or black communities I think you know what what are you gonna like and as if you want to be you know a white ally um you know you gotta you gotta ask you know you gotta be like what are you gonna do about it like why because I know I know like I know there's like issue voters out there I don't know it's not as common but mm-hmm. um as I'm learning in my election and campaigns class <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I think you know you should be demanding these things of representatives because I feel like also just like enough is enough like you know um, you can talk the talk and walk the walk, but when it comes down to it, how are you going to address these disparities, you know? Yeah, gonna be, exactly. I think, honestly, research needs, needs to be done just to get a better scope of the problem. And then kind of from there, you can construct more evidence-based solutions and interventions. But that, you know, mm-hmm. takes time and money and people love those two things. So, um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's that's my case study. It's my topic. Um, I want to like you know yield the floor mm-hmm. to Liza to talk yeah. about eugenics. Eugenics, <laughs> yikes! So yeah, so Maybe. I'm gonna just go and run through this this. I mean history, but I guess the historical context of eugenics and you know forced sterilizations mm-hmm. of women of color, and then I'm gonna be presenting a more like contemporary like modern case modern meaning like just literally a couple months ago of this issue (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna dive into it so I mentioned this book um or I mentioned this chapter and this book last episode but um in the race birth control and reproductive rights chapter of her book women class and race Angela Davis clearly outlines the racist ideological undertones of the birth control movement Um, Davis analyzes how eugenic ideas influence the birth control movement. So if you read this chapter in that book, um, I highly recommend the chapter, but also the entire book. But if you are pressed for time, um, the chapter is also just great to, um, you know, look into what we've been talking about. Um, I don't know. It's just so dense and just full of just rich information that I think it's, you know, to read. You should definitely read it. Um, But yeah, read. It's it's a good read. Um, But yeah, to just kind of briefly define eugenics. It is the, I think I, I got this, from, it was a quick Google search, so I just, that's where I got this <laughs> definition from. Um, Honestly, all good. You know, you gotta define but, your terms. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so eugenics is the study of how to arrange human reproduction to increase the occurrence of the most desirable uh, characteristics, the desirable heritable characteristics. So what is what are desirable characteristics that will be passed down from generation to generation, you know, when you have kids and whatnot? So Sir Francis Galton, who is an Englishman, uh, or I should say who's, who's British, he coined the term eugenics, which means well-born. So it's from Greek. Um, so just uh, and oh, Greek. He, Greek. And he just developed the, the field. I, 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 I put field in quotations because it's not it is a field in the sense where like, I don't know, it launched so much studies and like research, but of course it is all based on like fake research and fake science. Like it's, it's a, especially like racial science. Um, Like in reality, eugenics was based on a lot of like phony pseudoscience, like racial science um, and also science surrounding, let's say um, folks with disabilities, um, you know, Mm -hmm. both in intellectual and physical disabilities and things. So I'm like, that Mm -hmm. is, if you're targeting certain populations like that, I mean, it, it can't be science, it's not science, it's not for everyone. 
Fake um, news. This, right? Fake news. Fake <laughs> science. Fake science. Fake. So Actual fake story. science. Literally Actual fake science. Fake. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it targeted populations of color, people with disabilities, and other mm -hmm. marginalized groups. But yeah. So the eugenics movement Fun. gained so much traction in the U.S. that states passed compulsory sterilization laws to prevent they call unfit groups of people from reproducing. So there is a fit Disgusting. people and then unfit people, which would be, you know, groups that they targeted. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely so gross. And just, ugh, they pass these, they pass laws and they weren't repealed until not that long ago, like the seventies, I want to say seventies and eighties. Like what? Bruh. What? They had these laws for so drugs long. to do it. <laughs> Like for real, sorry, <laughs> that was kind of aggressive. Um, yeah. what? Like what? what? Like honestly, this like honestly too. Like the eugenics movement in the United States was like barely, like not even a hundred years ago. Like that's no. like just barely a hundred years ago. Like if yeah. you really think about it, essentially, like that's with the crazy. rise, yeah, like the suffrage movement. Yeah, if you think about the what's happening around the same time, suffrage movement, and like. Defining yeah, white feminism, which I will get to Ooh. its involvement in eugenics literally really soon. <laughs> so it's when so, is it not, well, when is white feminism not involved in all this like crazy bullshit? Like, like racist let things. me know. That's true. Racist things. Fair yeah. point. Fair point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's like I also want to mention that Nazi Germany saw these like racist <laughs> eugenics practices in the United States and like adopted them adopted them for themselves right like se like segregating jewish folks and you know banning let's say interracial or inter-ethnic marriages right um yeah that was it came from you know people don't like i was talking to my sister about this the other day people do mm -hmm. not want to um make the connection between let's say nazi germany and like the practices that they had to ostracize and marginalize and essentially you know genocide jewish folks and then also over here, what's happening in the U.S. around the same time, it's like World War II. And then also how the U.S. extended that to the 70s and 80s. Like it's 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 come from the same ideas and the same racist ideologies. Yep. You can't be like, oh, the U.S. is so great. And then hip, like, you know, criticize and condemn what Nazi Germany did when the U.S. did exactly the same thing, essentially. Yeah. And it's like, to me... Germany like honestly I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm like maybe a little bit German but like I'm not like from Germany but you know we're, we're there um but from my understanding correct me if I'm wrong if someone's mm. listening from Germany I don't know if that will be the case but um they've actually done a really good job of educating you know future generations um post-holocaust about yeah. like what happened and like we can't do this again um whereas mm -hmm. the united states has managed to just pretend this skeleton in the closet does not exist racism isn't real Sorry. we're in a post-racial era country those laws were oh it was a different time i'm like <laughs> it was literally less than 50 years ago no please literally, stop. Like, please literally. Stop. <laughs> so yeah it's not a different time <laughs> it's like she's shoving everything under the rug and i'm like no you yep. can't do that um but yeah, no, I've, I mean, that's why we have so many 
so many of the issues that we have, it just keeps reoccurring. Like they say, history repeats mm-hmm. itself because you haven't addressed yes. the history and you haven't even talked about the history. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it's going to be bound to <laughs> repeat itself. Um, so, yeah. So, um, all right. Let's uh, get into how did the eugenics, you know, movement or kind of the idea of eugenics get into the birth control movement? Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger is your gal. <laughs> so she, Mar- yeah. Margaret she Sanger. Came from Margaret Mary, Maggie, <laughs> Margie. I don't Margie. Know. <laughs> Marge. 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 Um, anyway, yeah, no. So Margaret Sanger. So she, I don't know. I guess she's like um, credited with ter- like coining the term birth control. Um, so essentially, she founded like this birth control movement, um, which um, kind of morphed into like the Planned Parenthood that we know today. But, um, you know, it's important to know that Margaret Sanger, yes, she was all for birth control, but of course, for a specific type of person like her, right, white woman. Mm -hmm. And so for everyone else, she, um, you know, had eugenic views and very racist views. And so she, you know, was very kind of involved in kind of I would say like kind of putting those two together, like birth control and eugenics. And of course the racism behind eugenics. Um, And I don't know, I was reading this like maybe history.com article, not sure how credible it is, but you know, maybe some historians might feel that Margaret Sanger should not be necessarily like should not be criticized for um, kind of saying like, oh, eugenics should be used for non-white populations. So for like people of color, um, and like birth control mm-hmm. in the in the case of sterilizations so I'm like no like if you read this chapter and if you read what Angela Davis is saying like she was definitely very it was definitely geared in that way um yeah so yeah so Sanger supported compulsory um sterilization for many unfit groups so unfit was I don't know I don't like it's just a general kind of term maybe I mean it's just them. a term that was used right yeah, it's you not just, like not your it's not your verbatim it's not your word no, no, it's just a term that was used, just like, yeah, fit versus unfit, but of course it's used to talk about, like, yeah, people of color and people with disabilities and, yeah. like, just, like, you know, right. marginalized groups that are seen as deviants. That's in my, that's what it means for me. And so what mm-hmm. Davis writes in, in her chapter is that um, in a letter to a colleague, Singer asserts um, and says this, and I quote, we do not want to get word out that we want to exterminate um, the Negro population. <gasps> Margaret no. said that, bro. <laughs> Dude, she's like, she, she racist. <laughs> she racist. racist. Like she, she is flat out racist. Y'all can't even deny that <laughs> anymore. You gotta come up with like a like a phrase or something that's like, and that's racist, or like something like funny. Like I, I mean, and that's that's on that's not racism. That is and that's caucasity right that there. Is caucasity. That is literally mm-hmm. that is that is that's caucasity. It. That is that's it. And the yeah. podcast right here, Margaret Sanger, <laughs> right here. caucasity. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So yeah, so she said that. Um, I mean, and also another another quote she said was like the chief issue of birth control um, was that more children from the fit and less children from the unfit and so this is how she kind of like put she kind of married you know her birth control movement to the eugenics Mm -hmm. movement um and Mm -hmm. so birth control 
at the time, at Sanger's time, the movement was not about, you know, people of color's individual rights to birth control, or like, you know, um, and just, you know, wanting to have kids and, or not wanting to have kids and that choice, but it's rather mm-hmm. just like the racist mm-hmm. mechanisms of pop- population control, population control. That's what Angela Davis writes. And then, I mean, just looking at that, like birth control to them meant population control, not just like, I don't want to have a kid like let's just not have a kid you know or let's have a kid and and you know plan like family planning and stuff like that yeah no it was very wow no I'm reading this and like dang thank you Angela Davis for talking about and <laughs> writing about this um but yeah uh yeah anyways. yeah it's so problematic and scary like just scary oh God. very scary so in the 70s a sterilization abuses against Black, Native, Puerto Rican, and Chicano women came to light. So it came to light, you know, from abuses, mm-hmm. maybe you should say in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, but also the abuses that happened at the time, like during the 70s, and even maybe well into the 80s. Um, so just like sterilization mm-hmm. and these laws and kind of backlash, you know, around that just became more prominent during the 70s. Um, and so the, there, there was a case um, the Ralph sisters case, it was highly publicized. And so there are two sisters, Minnie Lee, who was 12 years old, and Mary Alice, who was 14. They were unknowingly sterilized after they were administered Depo-Provera shots. So these are birth control shots. Um, and so Depo-Provera at the time, it was like, it, it was found to cause cancer in animals. And so, you know, because they were administered these shots, they were like, oh, we don't want them to get cancer. So might as well just like sterilize them like take out their entire reproductive system and they were like young girls they're like babies right girl. they were like adolescents babies. right they were just developed they were in puberty right they were just they just have they didn't even have a period yet like maybe on. not maybe not you never know they were just they were just know. starting um and so what's so so messed up about this is that their mother couldn't read so she was illiterate so what so what she signed off on was just kind of they didn't really necessarily explain to her that well what they were going to do with her daughters it was just like oh yeah like oh this is gonna you know administer more shots for them but she didn't know that she consented to their surgical sterilization wait also why were they getting birth control like i'm not i'm just curious like why did the doctor decide to prescribe that young of children i know i'm not sure what i'm not i don't know angel davis doesn't talk about this but I, I think right. if you look up the case, maybe it might explain uh-huh. a little more why it could. I don't know. I don't yeah, I'm just like curious. Because but like, yeah. I didn't start birth control until I was much older. Like, not saying like maybe they just didn't know back then. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But but regardless, it's messed up. But I'm just like, I'm just baffled that. Yeah. Like they would just go to that extreme measure being like, we're just going to take out your entire uterus. Like, I know. I may be birth control. Well, I know birth control <laughs> also is just like. You know, what if they had issues with, you know, their menstrual oh. cycle and, you know, how sometimes it's super painful mm. or super. Yeah, like that's why I take it. Yeah. yeah. When it's starting out, it also, yeah. it might be so painful that like, you know, they have to use birth control or also like. Or maybe have like endometriosis. Yeah, or maybe. Like other conditions. Yeah. Or I know there's also mm. a history of like experimentation on women of color for birth control. Yeah. You know, like there is a case, you know, in Puerto Rico, I was, I'm going to talk about this a little later, but in Puerto Rico, they use Puerto Rican women to test out birth control pills 
So I don't know, it could be kind of the same idea of like mm, experimentation. Yeah. But also it's just like this this super sketch, like, you know, not telling the mother or not telling these girls why are they so getting sketch. shots in the first place. But also right. not telling the mom that this shots may cause cancer and that we need to sterilize your daughter. Right. Yeah. So, to me, I feel like it might be on the side of like mm, experimentation, but I don't want to assume. We yeah. We but can it's, like it's definitely like, sketchy. Super, super sketchy. Yeah. So like so this is now moving on to, you know, talking about native women. Um, in 1976, it was found that 24% of native women of childbearing age had been sterilized. 24%, <gasps> almost a quarter of native women. That's insane. Like the population itself, not just like, you know, of a certain tribe. Yeah. At, at the time. What? So it's so wild because, you know, Angel, like Davis talks about this. Um, she kind of puts it quite frankly, she was saying like, you know, you would think that, you know, with historical genocide that they wouldn't, you know, native people wouldn't be targeted for sterilization because they've literally been genocide <laughs> for so long. Yeah. But no, they weren't exempt. For real. Right? They were targets of this, you know, special yeah. government propaganda on sterilization, meaning that so native, so the uh, native folks were shown these pictures of one picture was like having more kids and one horse. The other picture was having one kid and like 10 horses. So having more kids was was viewed as, you know, you're going to be, you know, it meant that you're going to be in poverty, right? And then less kids yeah. is going to be like, oh, you're going to be wealthier. So this, then that's more desirable. And so that is what they were shown. And I'm like, okay, first of all, where are the horses come from? But also that is just such a, I don't know, that is such an insidious tactic to use on Native peoples that you've been, yeah. have been genocide, like you've been genociding for literally since you've colonized right since settlers are right coming. right you're gonna yeah. also sterilize no, it so it's so wow i mean to me that's of course continued genocide of you know native native people um mm -hmm. and also just like literally go tying back to the erasure of natives right that was the original goal yeah to erase natives yeah all their land yeah and it's completely systemic like when mm -hmm. i think of genocide i think of a systemic practice exactly. and like that is completely systemic and it's completely targeted and it's so obvious like to anyone you know now we're looking at this retroactively obviously so we have the you know mm. hindsight of knowing but yeah I mean just come on like like just to me that's that's baffling too because we don't even know how that the 25 percent or 24 percent you said how does that impact individual tribes like are there certain tribes that are like more targeted like that just to me is like really interesting i just I, but yeah. I feel like across the board that's really alarming that's no it's so alarming. alarming like that's literally um, my assumption is just like that's a whole population of like native folks from you know every no i know i agree i agree yeah but no yeah i'm just wondering like but i'm wondering too if like oh it's like but i mean if you look at a specific mm. tribe it's like 60 percent right oh or probably yeah like, you know what i'm saying guys, like yeah. if you look at certain tribes it's like more or less but yeah but I'm, i think it's just more of like you know how does that impact generations to come right because if you're you know wiping out a quarter of like women who you know who who you know are childbearing age like how does that impact future generations and like yeah you know like I don't know like it just makes me think of like you're really trying to like, essentially erase native people like, that's really crazy yeah, erase yeah. no it's so it's so wild and they're doing this you know to native peoples but also like other you know non 
non-white populations as we call it so mm-hmm. they're like populations of color so it's really just mm-hmm. to, to you know wipe out and to erase um people of color in general so if that's not white yeah. supremacy i do not know what it is <laughs> I don't know what it is. Let, let me know, know because, like, I think that's that's where, like, that's the textbook definition. That's the like, definition. <laughs> Supremacy. That is right the definition. Um, yeah. yeah, and it just, oof, like, oof. Like, it just, to me, it's the law bit. The law bit that this was, like, actually legal practices. Mm-hmm. It's all like, legal. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's, yeah. that's, like, my poli-sci, like, side is just, like, what? Like, who <laughs> who signed that? yeah um yeah you know legislators or whoever making laws yeah they're like yep this is great yeah yeah so yeah okay so you know in puerto rico the the case of puerto rico was so it's just so wild also just so i don't know so cruel just i wow let me just I can't even talk anymore. Puerto Rico, I feel like Puerto Rico as like a territory, country, whatever it is. It's uh, just, it just makes itself more, more vulnerable to these, Mm -hmm. you know, to these practices, right? So it's like, in Puerto Rico, approximately one third, like about 33% of the female population were sterilized between the 30s and the 70s. So like how many decades? What? What, five decades? Yeah a third of the population. So that's like the highest rate of sterilization, the highest number of sterilizations in the entire world. Sorry, I was reading said that. The entire world. So yeah, so Puerto Rican women um, were, were sterilized in, in, that, in that fashion. But also they were, like I said before, they were experiments on to test out, you know, oral contraceptives, right? Birth control pills. Too. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I was reading this article and they were like, yeah, you know, might as well just choose Puerto Rico to experiment on, you know, because they're, they're in just such a position where, I don't know, they don't have the autonomy of like a, a country, but also they're not a state. They don't have rights. Right? They have no like, rights. They don't have whatsoever. rights. No representation. No representation, our, no yep, rights. Yep. <laughs> so, like, so, that, like, so, of course, uh, they can be experimented on, right? And lawmakers can be like, or whoever is yeah. creating these things, they're like, oh, yeah, they can experiment on whoever. Um, and no one's going to talk about it because, I don't know, Puerto Rico just seems so far removed from the U.S. Like, no one thinks about Puerto Rico. Right. So I mean, also Puerto Rico question. ethnically mm. ethnically is this um, really kind of interesting mix, right? Because yeah. um, actually the indigenous population's pretty much completely wiped out because of colonization. But most Puerto Ricans are kind of a mix between African Mm. uh indigenous and then spanish right um so i think you know if we're talking about the eugenics argument like there's a lot of puerto ricans that are very dark Mm. um because i don't know it's a very interesting there's puerto ricans that are like black and then puerto ricans are like very spanish so it's just like that mix of uh racial yeah ethnic mix that occurs it's interesting but yeah no but you're right like puerto rico has absolutely no rights no has not an autonomous state at all so it's just it's just essentially this uh, the u.s is like oh we're just going to experiment on these people yeah i mean the u.s has has such a history in that with all of its territories you know i'm going to go on a little tangent here but you know with with bombing right testing out the bombs (laughs) during world war ii or you know in wars in general right just like all that um i don't know the radiation i'm like people live there right i know in the pacific yeah and here in hawaii and like I, I, I learn about these things and I hear about these things, right? Those those populations in the Pacific had to move 
to Hawaii because their their mm -hmm. uh, lands were not habitable anymore. Literally, radiation. They were getting cancer. They were getting so sick. So it's like the the U.S. has had this history of using these populations, you know, that yep. are in this kind of limbo state of oh, territory, mm, but I don't know whatever territory, right? So it's um yeah. So this is of course none of these cases are you know isolated. It all connects to this um yeah to eugenics and and uh, lastly you know in this history I want to talk about Chicana women. So Chicana you know are are Mexicans. Are Mexican Americans, huh. so these are Mexican uh -huh. women in California, coming California, Ooh. and I think they underwent coerced sterilizations. Um, I want to say it was probably, you know, around the 60s or 70s. And so what this brought on is, you know, they uh, these so 10 Chicana women brought this forward and were like, "Yo, I was, you know, sterilized without my consent or coerced into being sterilized." Um, and so they were, and this was so wrong. And of course, California didn't have laws to protect them. And so this brought on the Madrigal versus, um, I don't know how to say the last name, Quilligan case? Quilligan? Quilligan? I don't know if you've heard of that case. <laughs> is, it a, is it a white last name? Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> wait, wait, send, send it to me. Wait, I'm curious. Wait, how do you spell it? It's Q-U-I. L L I G A N. So yeah, Madrigal versus uh, Quilligan. I think yeah. it's Quilligan. Yeah, Madrigal. I love how it's easier to say than <laughs> Quilligan. I'm like, I have no idea how to say that. But that was the Latino sounding name. That was the Latinx name easier to say. <laughs> that was a, I believe, a Supreme Court case. Um, and then you know, mm -hmm. after I think the women ultimately didn't necessarily win everything in the case that they were um you know uh that that were brought forward but i think california mm -hmm. that had to change their laws the surrounding you know um having you know spanish translations and 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 you know teams for language especially for the language yeah. barriers to translate mm -hmm. and to make sure these women understand like what they're actually going to go through which is such which is right. also you know a case of how they are coerced right without the Mm -hmm. you know those translating it's so easy to just you know sterilize them but also just like providing you know a window of time between you know i think mm -hmm. i was reading like a 72-hour time window um for these procedures to happen so just you know providing of course more understanding and more opportunity for like you know voluntary consent um for these mm -hmm. women because of course they didn't have it before um, so yeah, mm -hmm. so you know the Ralph sisters were um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but they were black, um, and then of course with Native women, Puerto Rican women, Chicana women, just history of just like forced sterilizations and how eugenics tied into you know you know the birth control movement and also how sterilizations were used as birth control, even though sterilizations or hysterectomies or you know whatever procedures are used should be um, how should I like last. Last resort. Oh, last resort, yes. Like no, oh, for sure. Like yeah. I see it more as like I've only really heard of them being used, at least mm -hmm. in like my intimate like circle, as like because there's a cancer yeah concern or like uh like or it's it's like a hormonal imbalance that can't be regulated mm -hmm. or um things like that. But I always see it as very much like an extreme case. It's never yeah, like very. a commonly used thing. Yeah. yeah.
So yeah, I so rarely this, hear about it. This, these were procedures that were, you know, passed into law, made to laws, and just done, you know, mass like masterizations of many, many women, right? Of how many quarter mm-hmm. to a third population of you know certain populations of women. So it's it is as Angela Davis says, it's sterilization abuse, abuse of sterilizations and using um, mm-hmm. those procedures. And so I think what that last example of, you know, Chicana women kind of ties into, you know, a modern example of, um, where'd it go? But yeah, modern examples of um, hysterectomies happening today. Mm-hmm. Like this, this, this came out like a couple months ago in September. Um, and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know why I feel like a lot of people have heard of it. There's so much outrage, but there's this whistleblower that alleged that um, there were men, there was questionable hysterectomies or hysterectomies done in a high rate at ice at an ice detention center in Georgia. So Don Wooten, who is a black woman, so she she was a nurse who worked at an immigration immigration detention center in Georgia. It's called Irving County Detention Center. She filed a whistleblower complaint in I think early September ish about the lack of medical care and unsafe work practices that facilitated the spread of COVID-19. But, mm-hmm. you know, more alarmingly, she also alleged that immigrant women received questionable hysterectomies. You know, I think this possibly points to a practice, personally, to a practice of forced sterilizations that's happening at this detention center. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't say something right. like hysterectomies, you wouldn't say it's questionable or alarming or concerning if it's, you know, not done on a high rate. Right, like we just mentioned, this should be a last resort type of thing. So then there, right. there should, there's definitely something happening, um, you know, mm-hmm. underneath the surface. But of course, ICE was like, mm, you know, we've got to fact check these allegations, and we're going to be skeptical of it. But I mean, if a woman is saying in, the woman has a lot of, uh, you know, Don Wooten has a lot of, you know, detainees, right, immigrant women, but also the nurses that she's worked with in her complaint to say these same things and to cooperate corroborate um kind of her allegations and of course this is something that is definitely um, plausible so yeah so several detained immigrant women were featured in the complaint and they shared concerns about high rate of hysterectomies that are being performed there are questions that Wooten and other nurses have about the immigrant women's ability to understand and consent to the procedures so this is happening again right, right. immigrant women they don't know too much english it's a, it's a language barrier right? yeah language barriers and so it's like well how can we even talk to them about hysterectomies if they don't understand how come you're not providing them mm-hmm. services so that they'll be able to understand yet you mm-hmm. still go on with these procedures so that's very concerning so there are mm-hmm. some detained women that um when they were told about their hysterectomies they reacted with confusion they're like what hysterectomy you know i didn't i wasn't informed that i was going to get it that's very sketchy that's so sketchy very sketchy like imagine like how would that feel like being told after the fact that like it's like oh now you can't have children or like you can't like that's what like that's just really like I don't feel like that's like an easy choice like if you were if you were informed and knew what was going on let alone if you weren't informed Mm-hmm. and didn't know what was going on mm-hmm. like that's, yeah. that's that's so sad very <laughs> so oh, sad. I know. And it's, uh, i mean the more of course you hear about this like yeah this is definitely not just some like skeptical thing this is i feel like this definitely no. happens for sure 
This is definitely so, a pattern that's going yeah, on. Yeah, and so also it's, like it's, it's planned. Yeah, exactly. Planned pattern. Yeah. Um, they're of course they are hiding this, so this is not something right. that is legal or you know this should be happening, and that's why they're hiding it. And also, like Wooten was demoted in her position; she was a full time nurse. And then you know after this complaint was filed, she was demoted to being like a at will employee, just like when she's needed. So even then, it's like, hmm, how come you demoted her for? You know, yeah or two it's like what are you trying to hide we're trying to hide yeah so this is this is getting kind of scary it's even scarier so uh don Wooten pointed out that there was a gynecologist called the uterus collector who performs uh the procedure every time he sees a patient and so what she's what she means by that is like you know Wooten and other nurses are probably um you know, going and observing, like, how come every time, you know, these women go to this specific gynecologist, like, they essentially right. get the uterus taken out. Like, they're getting hysterectomies. Like, every single patient that this, this gynecologist sees. Um, so that's mm-hmm. very alarming. So, I mean, so this was an NPR article, and this was written, this was written in September 16th. So, yeah, it was mm-hmm. about a month and a half ago. Um yeah, it was written by Rachel Traisman. So if you don't want to look this up, and there's another article, a Vox article, I think that also does a great job in kind of going into detail about these women's experiences, um, but also, mm-hmm. of course, says similar things to the NPR article. So the Vox articles were in um, in September 18, written by Nicole Maria. Um, but yeah, so it's very similar, just kind of outlining and covers what Don Wooten filed in her whistleblower complaints. So this article, this article features the experience of one former detainee, Pauline Benham, who had her fallopian tube taken out without her consent. So like I said before, like many of these women don't speak English very well um, and affects their ability to understand and to consent. And so I think this, you know, ties into um, you know, structural um, intersectionality, you know, being a, being a woman, most likely being a woman of color, also being an immigrant and not being able to speak English, you know, being deemed as a foreigner. Yeah. Um, you know, th- you know, these kind of um, structures in place that don't want you in this country um, are going to mm-hmm. produce these, um, you know, experiences of marginalization. In this case, produce, you know, instances where you are going to get a forced sterilization right force hysterectomy um and really target you in that sense um so it's it's super super sad and so the uterus collector is so actually named, named in this box article so his name is mahendra Amin. so so yeah several immigrant women alleged that um Amin performed medically unnecessary hysterectomies when they were referred to him so yeah like i said before hysterectomies are done to remove non-cancerous and also cancerous births in the uterus to treat condition mm-hmm. and to treat conditions like endometriosis or pelvic conditions and like abnormal uterine bleeding or you know conditions that have to do with irregular periods or heavy periods and stuff. So, like the the American I think it was American Board for Obstetrics, um, like literally said this like gave the statement to the to the Vox article to say that hysterectomy should be a last resort and non-surgical treatments should be considered first. Um, so yeah, so it's like so unnecessary that, you know, Dr. Amin, this gynecologist, I shouldn't even call him a doctor because he's not really doing his job right. He's just, you know, no, he's not. uteruses of um, <clears throat> women for no reason. 
so in general there's no reason yeah so you know in general i think wooten's complaint whistleblower complaint really tries to highlight the poor health conditions of the urban county uh, urban urban county detention center um and these health conditions have been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic and how they don't have right. medical supplies and they just don't have adequate medical treatment. But also these high rates of hysterectomies, like what she said about that, receive the most public outrage, obviously, because this is not something, this is something you would think that is like happened in the past, or, you know, put it all, you know, put it away. But like I said, like these sterilization laws weren't um, outlawed until maybe the 70s or 80s. So it wasn't long ago. And so it shouldn't be as surprising that they're still happening now. You don't know if there are probably other instances right now of, you know, women of color and they're going for sterilizations. Like that would not surprise me Um, because nothing has changed really. It's just now it's legal, as they say. So yeah, so the, the Vox article ends with one last experience of a woman. So this woman, she's not named, but she's also, she's included in the complaint. So she says she went to go get a single ovary removed, but the gynecologist accidentally took out the wrong ovary. So she had to have a total hysterectomy because they just they just messed up so bad. Like, how do you like mess up that badly? Okay. Also, did they like mess up? Like, quote, like you know, did right, they quote, mean unquote, to mess they, up? Like, mess like, up accidentally. Yeah. Right? air quotes <laughs> right air quotes we're doing air quotes people people because it's not visual yeah thing. right yeah. i'm like how do you um. accidentally take out the wrong one like that is such a grave mistake. don't surgeons like mark that yeah like, no they, like, they should mark it with sharpie like mm-hmm. which side they're gonna mm-hmm. not like mm-hmm. they're like, like i know so much should... about surgery but i mean <laughs> well, they have to have so much training and they should be very meticulous in what they're doing and like right. you don't hear women accidentally having to have a total hysterectomy because a surgeon Mm-mm. made a mistake right so this is it's some real real sketchy stuff. and where's that malpractice right this lawsuit like <laughs> in yeah. addition to this whistleblower thing malpractice sue all yeah. these gynecologists seriously so i think i mean in general just to kind of sum up i mean yeah this is definitely some yeah like we said, very sarcastically uplifting stuff, but really, no, it's very serious and like <laughs> <laughs> this is so serious and like this yeah. is definitely these things that we don't like our society as a whole don't talk about. What we're, we're not taught about, we aren't taught this. We have to actually read up. We have to look into the news, right? To or look into reputable sources to actually hear of this happening. Um, mm-hmm. You don't want to get you know a biased view of this or the history of eugenics and the history of birth control and how it was actually used as population control and so all of this kind of you know ties back to like racial projects the fact that there is a history of this was very systemic it was written into law but also how it's continuing today um goes back to only and went on you know um concept of racial projects and how it's used to essentially delineate um you know which race or which races are desirable which ethnic groups are desirable and which aren't and how we're essentially going to get rid of it as horrible as that sounds you know like how are we going to weed it out or erase you know people that are not white (laughs) really so yeah right just like yeah yeah just trying to make meaning of like what is white what is right and what is not um so that's really just kind of this insidious like racial project that is yeah definitely 
probably still happening um, because knowing how recent, you know, the ICE um, whistleblower complaint was filed was literally not even two months ago. It's very alarming. Literally not two months ago. It's so alarming. It just like shows that these issues are like not going away. Like they're mm-hmm. still very much prevalent in our society and like, like, we we think just because laws have been you know struck down and things that it stopped it's not happening anymore but it really is and it's like impacting actually highly vulnerable to like like someone in an ice detention center you know is not going to have any rights exactly um so it's like you know it's just to me very like just shows that they're just trying to go like I think this is also comes up again like the Puerto Rico example mm-hmm. or the example of the two black girls going in with an illiterate mother like it's just gonna you know they're targeting people where it's easy and there's yeah. no way they can really they can just get away with it so yeah there's no way that they're ever going to be brought to justice yeah exactly you know? like preying on the vulnerabilities so. of of these folks and I don't mm-hmm. know that's just like that's really the history of of this country really if you think about it that's just how it's done and it's so so sketchy so dirty just like so uh, so cruel and horrible but yeah no it's like Mm -hmm. a a real a real history and and even though (sighs) I just want to go back to Margaret Sanger like even though essentially she founded Planned Parenthood like please don't celebrate her because you know or you know celebrate as a pioneer for birth control because she wasn't using it for the good of you know folks who need birth control she wanted to use it to in her words exterminate certain populations um so even that too it's like (laughs) gotta gotta criticize then like gotta really look deeply as we've been doing these past like few episodes like look deeply into like Mm -hmm. you know these these movements um that you know may seem like really awesome and for you know the rights of you know marginalized historically marginalized groups um but didn't really secure rights for everyone nope yeah they picked and choose what they wanted <laughs> what they want who they wanted literally who they who wanted. they wanted yeah, yeah just so much yeah but yeah exactly. that's that's that's, yeah, then that's, that's all I have. The caucasity. That's that's the caucasity right there. Literal caucasity. <laughs> um, White supremacy. Literal caucasity of it all. White supremacy. Yes. Yes, that is so. <laughs> thank. At its finest, for sure. Okay, so thank you everyone for listening to our rants and not rant, but provide structured rants. um surrounding um the complex issues (laughs) of you know black maternal infant mortality and eugenics um like to give a shout out to fiza for being eloquent and well-spoken and articulate in her points oh Um, thank you and oh my god yes (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i'm kind of always you know Faisa is literally one of the most well-spoken people I know. She's just always so put together. And she's so passionate about these. Um, I can just tell she really gets into it. I love it. Um, when we were choosing our topic, she was like talking about eugenics. And I knew she wanted to do it, just like how she was talking about it. I'm like, do you want to do eugenics? You're like, oh, okay, I guess. And I was like, do it. Like, you got okay, it. fine. I guess um, I'll do it. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I also love um, talking I about guess. like, 
I also talked about, I wrote a whole paper on, you know, black maternal infant mortality too. So I was like, I could literally talk about this whole, this whole episode I could have done by myself. (laughs) I think so. You know, she really could have popped off by herself too. By myself. Um, But about herself. um, Yes, we all have passions and yes, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very passionate about these issues as well, but I feel like, um, yes I feel like it's just it's just I love seeing the passion and the inspiration from Faiza it's really it's really inspiring at least for me um but yeah so I think we're gonna end it on this positive note because this podcast was pretty damper yeah yes. very. um so uh, we appreciate you guys for listening and that's the caucasity catch you guys next episode The songs in our episode, Cheeky in our intro, and Thinking Free in our outro are by Ketza from the Free Music Archive. Ketza is licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 Creative Commons international license.